We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to A Taste of Romamu, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Romamu, please visit romumu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. So just to set up the story for all of those who, who need a little refresher, it's okay. If you haven't read your Bible a long time, maybe you're in, maybe you're not up to the book of Numbers, maybe you're still in the book of Exodus, whatever it is. You're working your way through, maybe this is the month for the Quran, and you're like somewhere in there, who knows. But if you're here this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, a particular piece of Torah, a particular piece, uh, piece of, our, um, of our, our storehouse of wisdom, our wisdom scroll. Torah is a wisdom scroll. So we're going to the Torah this morning for some wisdom, some good advice on how to live a better life. A life with more meaning, more purpose, more skillfully living the world with fewer regrets, better decisions, fewer regrets. We want to live a more wholesome life. And the Torah is that great Jewish repository. By the way, I spoke last night about a repository of surprises. And somebody came over and said, thank you for the suppository of surprises. Just want to say that couldn't go without being mentioned. I appreciated it. I thought, you know, thank you for it. I mean, you're saying it was a very moving speech. That's what they were trying to say. So, so we are... We are before the repository of Jewish wisdom. And in this story that takes place in chapter 13 of the book of Numbers, chapter 13 of the book of Bamidbar, which will repeat itself also in the very beginning of the book of Deuteronomy, in the book of Dvarim, we have a very, kind of an odd moment in the Torah. The Torah tells us that God has promised the people of Israel the land of Israel. Not being political, this is from the Torah. The Torah says that the land known as the promised land was promised already in the beginning to Abraham. To the land that I will show you, God says in chapter 12 of the book of Genesis. Part of the Abrahamic story, the myth of Abraham, is that he will not only have children and family and a nation, but will have a land. And that notion of land, of a homeland, the word nostalgia is yearning for home. Nostalgia means to yearn for home. The book of the Torah is full of nostalgia. We long for home. And throughout the book of Exodus, we are in exile. We are enslaved, enslaved people. But the first thing that Moses comes to the people and says is, Remember the God who promised you that he would redeem you and bring you to the land. The land is one of the core elements of Moses' prophecy and one of the core features of the hope that Moses imbues the people with. Moses never comes to the people and says to them, one day you will be standing at a mountain and there'll be, um, right, in Mel Brooks's version, I'll come down with 15, whoops, 10 tablets. Or in, in Cecil B. DeMille's moment, there's lights and, right, that's never part of Moses' promise to the people. He doesn't come to them and say, you know, one day, let me give you hope, now you're slaves. But in a moment, you'll be at Mount Sinai and receive Torah. No, Moses comes and says to them, one day you will enter the land that you have heard about from your Bubi and Zadie, from your grandparents. And so one of the fundamental assertions of Moses and his leadership was that I will take you out of Egypt in order to bring you into the land. 
the promised land. And so the people may have doubted Moses. They may have had moments where they were confused. But of course, you can imagine that after Moses splits the Red Sea, brings ten plagues, brings them to the mountain, they didn't think that they were getting that. It was included as part of the deal. It's like, the, like you know, baker's dozen, you get the land, and you'll also have a Torah to boot. You'll enter in the land. And so you can imagine chapter 13 of the book of Numbers comes as a surprise. Chapter 13 says, you know that land that I promised you, the God that took you out of Egypt and made all those miracles happen, all of that? There's going to be a group that will go into the land to reconnoiter the land, to spy the land, to see what the land is all about, and to bring back information. As a reader, you have to be thinking at this moment, really? You took them out of Egypt, you split the Red Sea, you fulfilled all of those pieces, surely the people will trust that you are good on the other promise too, that you'll bring us into the land, and once we're into the land, we don't have to worry, God, you have it all taken care of, we don't have to worry, it's all good. But that's not what happens, right? Chapter 13 and then chapter 14 tell us a story of 12 chieftains, 12 senators, 12 big men, people with bona fides, people with accolades, people with degrees on their wall, people who are accomplished, unshaved shame, men of name and renown, who are chosen to be that posse that will go and into the land and then come back and say, you know what, it's amazing guys, it's going to be great. We went here and there, and it was beautiful. We were in Eilat. Oh my gosh, wow. We went to Tel Aviv. We were in Jerusalem. I mean, what could be bad? Okay, there are a couple of people there that happened to live there. No problem. But after all, God made a promise. But we all know the story, right? It doesn't go like that. The 12 spies come back, and indeed, they've actually taken good notes. Sure, we went to the land and we saw what you told us to see, whether or not they are living in fortified cities or whether or not they have battalions. We went north and south, east and west. We went everywhere. And true, it is a land that flows with milk and honey. True, there is bounty in the land. True, the land is beautiful. True, all of those things are true. And we can't do it. Ten of the twelve spies break away and form a rebellion. Ten of the twelve spies stand over here and say, are you kidding me? We're down by 45 points in the fourth quarter. There is no way we're coming back. LeBron is part of that good group of 10 spies. They're standing there going, guys, we can do it. And the other two spies named Joshua and Caleb are standing over here and they go like this. Right? I'm sorry. The 10 are saying we can't do it. And then there are these two guys, Joshua and Caleb, Yoshua ben Nun and Caleb ben Yifuneh. And these two are like, you know what? It's true. We saw big people there. It's true. Everything they said is true, 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 true. But we can do it. The original yes we can is in this week's Parsha. Yachol Nuchal. We can do it. Yachol Nuchal. Now, it's remarkable to think that the ten spies the ten miraglim, the ten who bring a dibara'ah, who say something horrible about the land, becomes the source in later Jewish thought for the reason we have to pray with ten people whenever we pray certain things that in our liturgy. Those ten rishayim, those ten people who spoke unskillfully, who seeded doubt and uncertainty, 
become the very source for how we gather, as if to say that whenever we gather, we are working to fix that very moment. We are working to fix the moment of the Eidah Ra'ah. But what I want us to focus on here and what our Bar Mitzvah Anderson will be reading is verse 8. If you turn in your Chumash to this moment. The rebellion has reached a fever pitch. The people... The people of Israel now have bought into the ten spies negativity. They are all the, the group think now. One person's doubt seeded another person's fear and that it multiplied until finally we find ourselves at a moment where each of them says in verse 4 on page 845, and they all said, in other words, all of Israel, the whole community said, let's go back to Egypt. Moses and Aaron fall on their faces and Je Joshua and Caleb tear their clothing. This is horrible. They say in verse 7, Joshua and Caleb say, we were there, we visited. It's really great. Now verse 8. If God wants to bring us into the land, and God will then bring us into the land the very God who wanted us to have the land that God will make sure that he keeps good on his promises and then verse 9 do not rebel against don't be afraid <clears throat> two people brought the Israelites out of the land of Israel Moses and Aaron. Two people were able to stand before Pharaoh and two people were able to convince the entirety of the Jewish people that it wasn't about how big you were, how small you were. It wasn't about whether or not many people said it could be done or only one said it could be done. The people of Israel had to learn at this point not only to trust God but to trust the pattern of truth-telling. The children of Israel are guilty in this moment not only of lacking faith in God. Not only in lacking trust in a promise made. They are not only guilty of groupthink and of being part of the populace and the populist uprising, misled by a group of grassroots, Egypt-only group that wants us to go back to Egypt. They are guilty of missing a deep and fundamental truth that should have already been embedded in them, which is this. Truth comes truth comes from trusted leaders, from trusted servants, from people who have a kind of, are free of an agenda. And regardless of the numbers, truth is not about majority. Truth is not about how many are on your side. The truth can come in one sliver, in one insight. And that the minute we see that truth, we are reminded that in a given story, how we relate to the story depends on what pieces of the story we will raise up. If we want to see what is negative and what is shadow, if we want to see what can't be done, there's ample opportunity. But this simple moment in verse 8 where, God, where, where Joshua and Caleb say, you know what helped us is that we remembered 
that the reason we were going into the land was because God had already promised it. It wasn't as if that was on the table. We knew that God had promised it. The promise was there. The truth that we would be able to take the land was there. And we kept that before our minds at all moments. We did not give ourselves over to the negativity, to the dominant narrative. We remembered that there was a thread of truth there. And so we waited to see if anything, if anything that was being peddled by the ten aligned with that fundamental truth that we took with us into the land. It was not negotiable. We will take the land. And then everything fell into place. Sure, there are going to be challenges. Sure, there are going to be difficulties. But if we begin our exploration of what is promised us with the sense that it might not work out, then we'll find all kinds of evidence to support that there will be a confirmation bias. Could be will lead to this is what it is. And the Torah tells us this morning to check our a priori, our presumptions, the things that we bring to projects, to places, to relationships, the things that we don't check at the door, the things that we bring in and say, oh, I didn't know, oh, okay, maybe not. We're told in the Midrash that these ten Nisiyim, these ten princes, were very powerful men who had a lot of business back in Egypt. They went in thinking, you know what, if it doesn't work out, we'll just go back to Egypt. I wondered if that had anything to do with their eyes. The assumptions that we bring in to moments color those moments and then color the interpretation of those moments. And those things are hard to see. Joshua and Caleb, kept, they kept the word, banu Adunai, that God desires that we live in the land. So I wondered to myself this morning, and maybe for some of you, about my own assumptions about what is possible in this world. My own limitations based upon my own fear. That when I'm given a certain project, or I'm in a certain relationship, or I'm about to begin something, and I wonder to myself, have I checked all of my own biases at the door? Have I lifted them up? Have I raised them? This morning the spies will teach us at least this and also what Anderson will teach, I think, as good advice in the world, is to sense that that truth is not by majority. Truth is not a vote. Truth is truth. And that more often than not, we have a difficult time remembering what is true or seeing what is true because we don't walk in objectively and to some degree, having checked our own assumptions at the door. There was a generation, until last generation, we thought that science had won the day. That where there was belief, now there was evidence. Where there was superstition, now there was hard facts. And it took Thomas Kuhn in a groundbreaking book called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, who said that even science, even hard science, is influenced by the evidence. The evidence is influenced by the assumptions that we bring to the table. We choose our instruments based on the instrument that we want to use to see what we want to see. This, of course, in its most ugly form, in most shadow form, becomes what we've seen now with people questioning hard facts. They say, oh, those are your facts. But what they really should say and could say legitimately is, why did you use those instruments? And then we could have an argument about which instruments should be used. 
But if we choose an instrument, we will see what that instrument discloses. And the same is true here. The mind and the heart is its own instrument, and it often has so much in it that goes undisclosed, that isn't transparent, that isn't obvious, and that isn't present. So this morning's group, Aliyah, this group think, Aliyah, is calling up for anyone in the community this morning who feels called is to stand here with Torah when Anderson reads the words of Joshua and Caleb who remind us that if we want the truth we are to come to our situations as cleanly as possible as resolutely rooted in a sense of how difficult it is to see the truth how interpretations cloud our vision and how powerful it is to remember that that we are not only observing but we are part of that which is observed so for that aliyah the cleansing of the doors of perception or even the opening of the doors of perception i invite you to come forward this morning to stand with joshua and caleb against a group think against a collective against a psychosis of the group that would have us forget what it is that is true what we know and that we might go forward with that towards greater and greater clarity. Please come forward this morning.